You listen to 247 Real Talk. This is your host, Julian Perry. And for this episode, I will be discussing empowering parents of children with chronic health conditions. I'll be right back with Deborah Morgan. Good evening, Deborah. Welcome to 247 Real Talk. Thank you for joining me for this episode. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Yes, thank you. It's, it's pretty late. It's uh, 11.23 p.m. July 14th on the East Coast of the United States, and you're in Canada, right? I am. I'm on the west side of Canada, so 9.23 or whatever it is okay. uh, in my part of the world. <laughs> All right, great, great. So let's start off by, um, I'll ask you to introduce yourself to my audience. Tell us a little bit about okay. you. Yeah, so um, I am a certified holistic nutrition consultant and the founder of Kids Health Revolution, um, which helps empower parents with information and tools and inspiration to use food and natural modalities to uh, improve their children's health. So for parents with kiddos that have chronic health conditions, uh, anything from autoimmune to eczema, uh, the gamut I work with. And uh, I got into this line of business through my own experience with my son, who was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition when he was two years old. And uh, we've been very successful in helping him and his body find balance just using food and, and natural approaches. Great, great, great. So uh, I have a list of questions, actually, so that we can get the most information to my audience. I'll start off with uh, how has nutrition and gut healing helped your son? Well, nutrition and gut healing have really been the foundation of what's what's helped my son. Uh, we, you know, we've done some other modalities, but it is the absolute foundation um, of his body being able to stabilize and his immune system to calm down and stop attacking itself. Um, basically, we began this journey when he was two, as I said, uh, because of a functional medicine doctor who turned me on to the whole idea of gut healing and gut healing dietary protocols, which, which can be pretty strict. Uh, and it was a big lifestyle change. But within three months of implementing this change, uh, we started to notice a big difference in my son's health. So he used to be that kid that, you know, got sick with a cold if somebody like five houses down passed him on the street. And, you know, he would he would just be getting sick with a cold or a flu and he'd get better and then he'd get sick two weeks later. It was just constant. And so that was the first thing that we started to notice changed. It was like his immune system was starting to become more robust in being able to fight off some of the little bugs that he came across. And then within the year mark, his actual autoimmune condition started to reverse itself. 
So we were able to make big changes in his health just simply by using food and doing a few changes to our environment as well. But primarily it was focusing on balancing the microbiome, healing and sealing the gut, and then bringing in lots of nutrient density. So he was getting all of the you know, nutrients, not only the, like the macronutrients that we think about most commonly like protein and fat and carbohydrates, but the micronutrients that are so important in the body as well. Uh, and, you know, when we're, when we're living in, a, in, in the world that we live in and, and the standard American diet, we're usually really missing a lot of those micronutrients in our diet. So that's sort of a nutshell of, of how it really uh, was the foundation to improving my son's health. Great, great. That sounds like uh, it might have been a lifesaver to a certain extent. Um, yeah, yeah, to a certain degree for sure, and, and certainly um, a life changer, yes. definitely. So what is the connection between the gut, the microbiome, and health issues of any kind? Well, the, the, it's, it's a fairly uh, complex and nuanced connection, but the, the simple and easy answer is that it comes down to inflammation. So we know now, this is well accepted even in mainstream medical, that uh, inflammation in the body is an underlying issue behind almost any chronic health condition. In fact, all chronic health conditions have this chronic inflammation in the body that is one of the underlying issues that contributes to this health condition manifesting. Now, what health condition manifests will depend on the person's sort of genetic makeup, but the microbiome and the gut health is really an integral part of that chronic inflammation. So, we have, I always frame it as the gut is a big opportunity to turn off a major tap of inflammation. So what can happen when we have an imbalanced gut, so imbalanced microflora or microbiome, a couple of things happen there. Some of the, the what we would call bad bacteria, so the pathogenic and opportunistic bacteria, actually can send signals to the brain and to the immune system to increase inflammation, not only in the gut, but systemically in the entire body. And they do that because that makes a better environment for them to survive in and to push out the beneficial species. So these little critters are really intelligent and, and, and they have an amazing influence on us as the host. So when there's this imbalance, and we have more pathogenic and opportunistic species than beneficial species, one of the things they can be doing is increasing inflammation in the body. The other thing that happens is that those microflora, the good bacteria, are responsible for keeping the intestinal cells themselves healthy and happy and doing their jobs properly. So when there's imbalance, the intestinal cells themselves fall down on their jobs. And those cells have some really fundamental jobs that they do for our body. And one of them is, the most obvious one, is digesting our food, right? We Digestion starts in the stomach, but the majority of digestion of our food happens in our small intestine. And then 
once it's broken down into its little bitty tiny pieces, the smallest molecules it can get into, then it's passed through the intestine and into the bloodstream where the body can then use the nutrients from it. So if the intestinal cells aren't doing their job very well, then they're not going to be digesting and absorbing the nutrition well, right? And so we're already setting ourselves up for a little bit of malnutrition in that case. And then what happens is these cells in the intestines also form a really tight barrier. They're bound together. And I often refer to them like the bouncers in a nightclub who are kind of linked arms or linked hands. And they're very particular about who they allow to pass out of the intestine and into the body party. Like this is the body is like a, a club that everybody wants into, but only a select few with the right code are allowed to get through. So if it's the right kind of molecule and those, those bouncers are functioning as they should, then it's allowed to pass. If it's a food particle, for example, that's too big, then those bouncers would hold it back and not allow it to pass until it had been broken down properly. But what happens when we have this imbalance of the microflora and those intestinal cells aren't healthy, then our bouncers aren't healthy, and that means they're getting a little bit lazy in their job. So they are letting food particles that aren't completely digested, they can slip through uh, toxins, bacteria, fungus, viruses, all of these things that would normally be held within the intestine and eliminated through the large intestine are sometimes able to sneak past the bouncers. They're able to sneak past this uh, selective membrane. And that's what we call leaky gut or hyperpermeable gut. And this is a major contributor to inflammation in the body, to chronic inflammation in the body. Because again, to use another analogy, we have 80% of the immune system sitting around the intestines. And so this is like the army that's just sitting around this nightclub and waiting for somebody suspicious to come out and they mount an attack. So let's say a, a piece of undigested food comes out, <clears throat> which technically isn't that harmful, but the immune system does not recognize it because it is not the proper molecule size. And so the immune system freaks out, oh my God, what's that guy doing here? And they call in the cavalry and they mount a full-blown inflammatory attack to try and protect the body. Now, that's a good thing, right, if, if there is honestly something coming out like a virus or bacteria that we don't want there. But when this leaking is happening day in and day out because of an imbalance in the gut, then this inflammation becomes chronic and our immune system gets worn down and amped up all at the same time. Uh, so it can start turning on itself at the same time as it's allowing other things like bacteria and viruses to go undetected because it's just so overworked and overburdened. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes. But this sounds like it can be applicable to more than kids. Oh, absolutely, 100%. This is applicable to anybody who has a chronic health condition of, of any kind. My specialty just happens to be working with, with kiddos because that's, that's my big experience and that's my passion. But 100%, this is, this is how chronic 
or, you know, one of the contributing root factors for many chronic health conditions for, for anyone. Okay. So we'll stick with the kids because, um, you know, I'm sure parents are very interested and, uh, you know, they can be challenging when they have illnesses. So kids tend to obviously, especially in a family, they eat what the family eats. And that can be a struggle finding something that, you know, or meals that the entire family likes that also incorporate the needs of the child. So what kinds of, you know, foods would a family be eating to, imp- to help improve their child's health? Right on. So that's a really good question and a good uh, point about, you know, eating what the family eats. And when I work with families, usually I recommend that the entire family makes the change uh, for family meals so that when you sit down, everybody's eating the same thing. Uh, and that really avoids a lot more of the of the struggles and battles that, that can end up happening with the child uh, when they want to, you know, be having the <clears throat> uh, pizza or whatever everybody else is having, but, you know, they can't have that at this point. So a whole family lifestyle change is really the best way to go about it. <clears throat> and it really, the answer to exactly what foods you're eating depends a little bit on what the health condition is and how how serious it is and how serious the imbalance in the microbiome is. But generally, everybody needs to switch over to a more whole foods type diet. So we're, we're eliminating things like processed sugars completely from the diet, uh, artificial flavors, artificial coloring, um, processed oils, uh, genetically modified foods. All of these things are the, the main foods that we really need to anybody, honestly, that wants to be as healthy as they can be would benefit from taking those things out of their diet and focusing on real food, whole food that you prepare at home and not foods that come in a package <laughs> that you prepare at home, but, you know, from scratch. And most of the time that I say that when I'm working with parents, there's a little bit of panic in their eyes at first because we're not used to cooking from scratch. But it honestly doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be crazy time-consuming. Uh, it can be really simple and quick and easy to throw together a meal that is is supporting health and whole foods based. Uh, it's just sort of getting into the practice of it. So whole foods is the very first step. And then oftentimes we also need to look at uh, eliminating things like gluten and dairy from the diet. That's our next step. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then for some kids, we need to dive in even a little bit deeper and do uh, a protocol that is really designed to rest and reset the gut, the digestive tract. And in that case, we eliminate all grains from the diet as well as legumes because they can be, uh, they have what's called phytic acid, uh, which is difficult for a compromised digestive system to break down. So what ends up happening is those foods will sit around in the gut and feed the bad bacteria and thus sort of contribute to this whole cycle of bad bacteria and, 
you know, the leaky gut that can come from it and the inflammation. So we remove all of those things, allow the gut to really relax and reset the microbiome to reset the beneficial flora to, to begin to get a leg up again. And then we can look at reintroducing some of those foods down the road. Wow. So I'm going to stay with this question for a while because as, as you're yeah. explaining, I'm thinking, you know, in, in, in reality, yep. what, you're, what you're saying that parents need to do and families need to do is extremely difficult. Um, and I say that for many reasons, and I'll point out a few of my reasons. First of all, many, you know, in, in the society we live in, I'm in New York, and life uh-huh. is, is hectic. And yeah. meals sometimes can almost be an afterthought um, because of, you know, the, the time and the traveling and the picking up the kids and the drop, the whole hectic schedule. Um, and in my household, we do cook from scratch, but that's not every single day. You know, there's times when the, the kids do get, you know, pizza or whatever the case may be. Um, and for instance, one of the things I've done for a long time when I was, you know, I, I kind of zoned in on what you were saying. I use several um, things like, like, like for my coffee, I use a sweetener that is zero, zero carbs, zero calories, zero sugar, but obviously it has artificial sweetener in it. And I drink, um, when I don't feel like drinking water, actually, I, you know, sometimes I'm not in the water mood and I want something with flavor and I drink something that's no sugar, no calories, no carb, but it has artificial sweetener in it. And, you know, there are many other things that, so there's sort of a, and, and, and I've, and I've spoken with a lot of friends who have gone through different phases of say weight loss and these kinds of things. And they, they follow diets that they actually do lose weight, but they are, or there are friends of mine who are, trying to lower the A1C because they're pre-diabetic. And so they go on the artificial stuff and they, the benefit is, you know, eventually the A1C comes right down. But, you know, I don't think anybody stops to think of the, the you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So there's a consequence to everything. So um, what you're describing is, is, you know, it could be, you know, fundamentally correct, but very difficult to execute. Yeah, you know, it is and it isn't. So I agree. Uh, I hear you. I, you know, I, as you know, today I was rushing to get home to, from my son's soccer practice and life can be hectic 100%. Um, but I think it, it really depends on, you know, what's going on for the family and what's going on in, in the health challenge. So, if the health challenge is significant enough, then, uh, you know, it, it's like the old saying that if, if the pain of the problem is worse than the pain of making the changes, then you'll make the changes. But if the, if the pain of making the changes is greater, then you won't. So not everybody is willing to go down this road, and that's okay. But some people are willing to go that extra mile they're they're willing to change their lifestyle and and change some things that can make life 
maybe that little bit less hectic so that they do have the time to dedicate to eating in this way uh, so that they can support that shift in health just enough to move the dial to make a difference for their child. And, you know, where that lands for, for, for everybody is different. Not, not everybody needs to dive as deeply as I've just mentioned. Um, the more serious health conditions like autoimmune and, and pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric syndrome and some of those are the ones where, you know, if parents are able to make the commitment and really drill down, they're going to benefit a lot more. Uh, but certainly, you know, I've worked with children who have uh, minor eczema and they, they don't need to make the really big changes. It's more whole foods based. And as you say, if, if once in a while they have pizza for dinner because it's a crazy night, you know, their bodies will accept that and, and, you know, they can deal with it and, and get back on track uh, as long as it's not, you know, a lifestyle. Um, and I often say to parents, the idea is never to get back to the standard American diet. The standard American diet should never have been the standard for us. Um, and, and I would like people to start to think about food in a different way um, and in, in, in a way that is about um, nourishing our bodies, not just as, you know, as you mentioned, as the afterthought. And I get it. Sometimes it's an afterthought for me, too, uh, because the day is just super busy. But, you know, there's things like that make it so much easier now, like pressure cookers. You know, I could take a roast out of the oven frozen at 5 o'clock and throw it in the pressure cooker, and it's done by 6.30. So, you know, it, it really has, has become so much easier to do these things. Or I make scrambled eggs and carrot sticks for dinner, you know, if, if it's a really busy day like that. So as you go through this, you become it becomes your way of life and your way of living. It truly is a lifestyle rather than a diet. Um, and once you start to see the profound changes it can have, it, it becomes so much easier to do. And I, I, mean, I cried in my car when my, our functional medicine doctor told me what we had to do. Like I couldn't imagine how we were going to live our lives and, and still do this, but but we did. I dove in and, and we did it, and I discovered it wasn't so hard. You know, we were able to go to parties. It's just I sometimes had to bring our own cupcakes to the party. We've traveled to Africa. We've gone to Europe. We've done all kinds of things, but we've still managed to stay fairly close to this gut healing protocol that's been so fundamental in changing my son's health. And I can understand that. Um, it's sort of necessity is the mother of invention, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I always say if this had been my own health crisis, I'm not sure I would have been strong enough or willing enough to make these profound changes. But because it was my son, I, I would have moved heaven and earth to do what I had to do. And that's what I find with most of the parents that I work with. You know, it, it, it's hard for them, uh, but because it's their child, they're willing to go through the extra work that's involved. Yeah, that, that's understandable. But, you know, 
I'm going to throw a further, you know, caveat in here because, uh, sure. Um, so my son is a, is, is a really picky eater. Okay. Okay. Um, and I, I kind of, in my own space and time, when I think about how he eats, I, you know, he's kind of weird for a child in the sense that it's hard to, to figure out he'll eat like, He'll eat carrots. Like you said, you do carrots. He'll eat, you know, the carrots right out of the, you know, he'll buy them from the grocery store. He'll wash them and he'll eat them just like that. He'll eat celery sticks. Okay. He'll eat. So, but in, in, in trying to prepare a meal for him every night, it's a challenge because yes, he'll eat those things, but he's so picky. Sometimes he won't. He's, yeah, he's very particular too about what he eats in terms of what he wants. Um, and so, you know, the children on the whole, I have my daughter who is, who is different. So when you're dealing with the whole family uh, dynamic and you're talking about, um, hypothetically having a child that, you know, is really in need of, of, of this, you know, uh, uh, gut healing and nutrition. How do you incorporate picky eaters in, in, you know, in, as, as, an, as an extra layer into your, your challenge to prepare neat meals? Absolutely. So that is one of the biggest obstacles that most parents face when they're thinking about doing this. They, they're doing all the research, and a lot of parents that come to me, they already know some of the changes they need to make, but they're struggling with how in God's name am I going to get my child to eat this way when... You know, you're lucky you get carrot sticks and celery. A lot of the kids that I work with, it's bagels and cereal, and that's all they'll eat. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, again, the answer is nuanced depending on the age of the child and, you know, the extent of the picky eating and whether we're talking about sensory motor issues, um, you know, having to do with textures and, and things like that. Uh, or any OCD elements that go with it. And sometimes uh, it can be as serious as, as food avoidance, uh, which is a, a whole other uh, mental health issue on its own. But when we're just talking about general picky eating, um, there's, a, there's a couple of things that work. The microbiome, for one thing, is very involved with picky eating. Because the bugs, as I mentioned, that live in the gut are extremely intelligent. And so they will drive cravings for the foods that feed them the most. So when I speak about a child who will almost exclusively eat bagels and cereal or other processed foods and sweets, that's because those are the foods that are feeding those pathogenic and opportunistic bacteria and allowing them to thrive while starving out the good guys. Now, that doesn't sound like it's, you know, your case exactly because, you know, carrots and celery sticks aren't, aren't you know, in that class. Uh, but, you know, kids can be particular in ways about what they eat, partially as a way of um, expressing their own independence. So depending on their age, that can come into it as well. So one of the first things I recommend to families when they're making this change and you're sitting down to a family meal that everybody can eat, including your child who's on the dietary protocol, that you make sure that there are always a couple of foods 
at the table that each child will like. So there's some carrots and maybe, you know, your other child likes peas. So there's some peas and then there's your meat dish and, you know, maybe some other little thing. So you've got a few different things that they can select from or that's on their plate. So there's always something on their plate that they like, whether it's just one thing, carrots, and then the meat that they need to try. Always something that they like because it's less threatening for them to approach a plate that they see something familiar and that they like on that plate. And then they're going to eat what they like and then leave the other thing and, and try not to eat it. Now, this is where I get a little old school about it, and that is we eat what has been prepared by whoever has prepared the food, and that's all there is. So we're not making special meals for everybody else. This is what there is, and this is what we fill our bellies on. So if you don't want to eat it, you don't have to eat it, but there's not going to be snacks and sweets and all this other stuff to fill yourself up on after dinner. You're required to take a certain number of bites uh, to try this food, you don't have to like it, but you do have to try it. And once you've had those bites, then you can have snacks or a dessert later. But until you've had those bites, there's no snacks, there's no filling up on other things. And parents that implement this and are consistent with it are always amazed at how quickly their kids come around. It can take a couple weeks, depending on how stubborn the child is, but they do come around very quickly to realizing this is the lay of the land. And, you know, if you think about the rules that you have for your kids in your house, uh, like many of us have rules around video games, like maybe we don't allow video games or we only allow certain kinds of video games. Like for us, Minecraft is fine, but no shooter games. And so this is a hard line that we've taken because it's part of our values. And we don't feel guilty about it because these are our values. For some reason, when it comes to having uh, boundaries and rules around food and expectation, suddenly we start to feel guilty about it. Like we, we shouldn't have those rules and, and standards in place. Whereas I think it's very important for us to have those expectations and those rules in place around food because it, it, it teaches our kids about exploring different foods and about what proper nutrition is and what a meal looks like and the order of foods that we fill our bellies on meals and snacks and treats are just, you know, in between small amounts, but that's not what we fill up on. So I encourage parents to think about these, this way of, of, of eating as your culture, this is your family culture, your ritual around food, that there's an expectation that, that meals be eaten or at least a certain amount of those meals be eaten before snacks and treats are allowed. And to think about it the same way as any other rule that you have in place for your child. It's no different. And not to go down that guilt road. And I also use the example of uh, people who, who don't eat pork. So uh, I've worked with many Muslim families who don't eat pork. 
And so in Calgary, for example, we have the Calgary Stampede, which is a big event, and we always have pancake breakfast. And at the pancake breakfast is always bacon. Well, you go to the pancake breakfast, and there'll be Muslim families there, and they're eating the pancakes. They're not having the bacon. Well, they don't feel guilty because they're not letting their child have bacon. It's just part of their culture. It's part of their upbringing. It's normal. And we could make that same normalcy around having our own culture in our home about this is how we eat. We eat whole foods. We eat nutritious foods. And yes, we have treats sometimes and sometimes we have pizza, but this is this is the norm in our home. Does that does that make sense? Yes, yes. I mean, I, I um I was thinking and I said myself, um, and I almost felt a little guilty as you were expl- you know you were going through the story because you know, with with my kids, um, I I sort of have that mirror conversation, especially my son. Where he'll say, "I'm not, I don't want that. I don't like that. I don't, you know." And uh, we say, "Well, that's all there is for dinner." And he said, "Well, we'll tell him. Well, if you don't eat that, there's nothing else." And he will say, he kind of say, okay, but you know, before before he goes to bed, he say, uh, Daddy, can I have an orange, or can I have an apple? And the the, the challenge is most of the time he gets his way, not because um, you necessarily want to give him his way, but because what he's asking for uh, is is not junk. Yes, and that's a good point. So that that's great that he's asking for nutritious food. You you know you're pretty uh, you, you know you've got a good foundation there by the sounds of it. <clears throat> but you know he, at the same time, you know how kids give him an inch, <laughs> you know right, and they take a mile. He he he's still eating the nutritious foods, but he he then does not have the um, the boundary the incentive to push through some of his objections to trying the other foods. And I often speak about, and it's not to make you feel guilty in in any way, shape or form, but um, I I talk about uh, having open, eager eaters as a skill because it, it really is a skill for many kids to be able to come to the table and approach something that might not be their favorite thing but eat it or something that's new and not balk at it. And so how much patience and practice do we put into helping our kids learn piano or hockey? You know, the first time I took my son to hockey, he begged to go to hockey lessons and I took him and the first day he cried and cried and cried. I don't want to do it. I don't want to go out there. And, and all I wanted to do is bundle him up and put him in the car and say, it's okay. You don't have to do it. But I knew that wasn't the right thing to do. I knew he needed that little extra push. And so I I pushed him and said, you need to do it. We're here. You have to go out on that ice. And if you hate it, by the end of today, you're done. You never have to come back. But you have got to try it today. And he went out there and he loved it. And that was it. So there are moments that we need to push them a little bit beyond that comfort zone, right? And and it can be true with food as well, that this is a skill that they need us to help them develop. And when we hold that boundary of saying, okay, bud, you know, I get it, you don't like it, but how about you have 
you know, depending on the child, sometimes I start with one bite, but it sounds like he's, you know, pretty open. So you might get away with saying three bites. So let's say you make a stew and he doesn't like the stew. You tell him he needs to take three bites of the stew and then he's got his carrot sticks and his celery that he can kind of fill up on. And then you slowly start to move that bar up as time goes by so that he gets a small bowl of the stew plus his carrot sticks and his celery that he likes. And so you know that he's getting food. You're not starving him, but you know, you are holding that boundary and pushing him just that little bit to try something and realize that he he can do it and maybe even start to like it. Yeah. And we do, you know, I, 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 to be honest with you, uh, much of what you said resonates because I do go through those exercises with him. I do go through the, you know, many times you know, I'll, I'll sort of, uh, sort of you know, coax him into trying something that he, he, up to this past Sunday at Sunday dinner, he put, you know, he, 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 you know, he didn't want to try the dinner. And then he tried it and then he started laughing because I looked at him and he, you know, he was devouring it. And I said, you see what yeah. happens when you try it. But, um, and, and, and as I said, you know, for especially, you know, I always take the approach of, of when I have my guests on and I always, you know, kind of push a little bit of the hardest or the worst case scenario in, you know, because I know that there's a, a, a wide spectrum that we're dealing with of types of children and types of challenges that patients, that parents face. And, Absolutely. you know, it, it can be, you know, even emotionally and physically exhausting um, oh, yeah. I quite understand that there's a different level to wanting to have your child eat healthy just because versus a child with an autoimmune illness or, you know, a child with where, you know, the consequences are one is very evident and one is not. Right. Um, yeah. and, and I know that we're giving all this information of all the, the, the correct things to do by a parent, but you know, what are some of the biggest mistakes that parents make when they, you know, they try to help their child, when they try to change their diet? You know? Well, I, I think one of the biggest mistakes is, uh, you know, often parents will go to a, uh, a naturopath or somebody uh, or just do their own research and decide that they're going to go gluten and dairy free, which is great, except for uh, and I did this myself, so I know how easy it is to make this mistake. You you just simply switch from gluten and dairy to their processed food counterparts. So, you know, the, the rice breads and all of these things that are so easy to get. Uh, and unfortunately, that is um, some of the, the big industry of gluten-free products are sometimes even less healthy than the gluten product itself, um, and especially when it comes to the microbiome. So that's probably the biggest mistake that I see parents make. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, parents will come to me after having been gluten and dairy-free for you know, several months and just not seeing the results, and they're kind of ready to throw in the towel, but they kind of reach out to me in their one last desperate gasp and... Um, you know, once we, we tweak that and get them doing it, you know, the right way, more whole foods way, then it kickstarts things and they start to see results. 
Okay, great. So that, yeah, so, I mean, that is obviously helpful and will be helpful to, you know, parents who are listening, not just for the general health of their kids, but I'm sure there are several of my, somewhere in my audience that are, that are dealing with challenges of kids with uh, um, illnesses. So we've talked a lot about food, but beyond food, what should parents be thinking about to help their kids? Yeah, so this is where the environment that we're we're growing our kids in really matters. And so it's about the food we put on the table, but it's also about the air our kids are breathing and the things that we're putting on their skin. So some of the simplest things that we can do, and, and oftentimes, you know, I'll have parents who are really overwhelmed with making the food changes, start with the environmental changes because they're easier to make. It's as simple as switching your your soaps uh, and all the, you know, uh, fancy, smelly soaps that you have <clears throat> for bathing your kids and replacing them with a more natural alternative. So something that you can get at a health food store or like a Whole Foods type of store is going to be way less toxic on the body uh, than... The, the ones that you're buying at the drugstore or the regular grocery store, less phthalates and parabens and sulfates and all of the things that go into the body care products in the United States and Canada, uh, they just aren't as highly regulated as they are, say, in Europe. So when you switch to one of the products that's being sold at one of the more natural uh, stores, you're eliminating all of those toxins from the product. So that means you're eliminating a whole bunch of stuff that your child's absorbing through their skin and then having to deal with detoxifying. And yes, our body is is designed to detoxify chemicals and anything that's harmful to us. But because we're bombarded with over 40,000 chemicals, that's a lot of work on the body. So when we're talking about that chronic inflammation the body is a little overburdened with all of the, the toxins in our environment and our everyday lives. So if we can just remove a few of those, we're really taking a big load off of, of the child's body. So body care products are one. The other one is the cleaning products that we use in our homes. So I usually say, you know, just save yourself a whole bunch of money and get rid of the majority of your cleaning products that are hugely laden with toxic chemicals, and use vinegar and water. Maybe a little bit of tea tree oil is, is a great surface cleaner uh, and, and not toxic at all. Uh, laundry detergent is a big one. Um, not using like Febreze and, and all of those sorts of smelly products. If you like the smell of things like that, use essential oils, like your real pure essential oils, because they're not chemicals, they're plants. Uh, and that is more recognizable to the body, and they don't. And your body doesn't have to detoxify it. You sounded like you had a question there. I was, I was just thinking when you're talking about um, because I know my wife. Um, she's very resourceful, and she finds a lot of cleaners and stuff that are what they call organic. So they're made from, you know, like natural plants, herb, you know, <laughs> whatever they use. But they're they're they lack chemicals, right? Yep, and that's they, a good alternative. But as well. you know, but the problem is, you know, and and I don't want to digress too much. But the problem is that 
whenever you go down the road of, for instance, I mean, what you described with vinegar and water and, and is, is a lot easier. But whenever you go down the road of finding, some people want to find a balance where they want something like, um, you know, they, as I said, they are organic or, you know, I'll use the word organic for lack of a better term, cleaning products that don't have the chemicals. You know, what society does on the whole is knowing that you're looking for that better way of living, the prices are ridiculous. You know, yeah. it's almost like it becomes someone who wants to go down that direction to do the right thing and, and use something like that. It can, it can be, become an obstacle because it, it can almost morph into a socioeconomic issue. Because 100%. anything you want, organic or anything, just automatically you stop a label on it and it's, it's twice the price. Yeah, 100%. And there's a lot of greenwashing when it comes to that as well because companies, the chemi- chemical companies have recognized the opportunity in the, uh, in the natural cleaner market and they've sort of greenwashed their products. They're not actually that much better, uh, but right. they, you know, maybe taken out a couple of the chemicals and then they charge twice the price for it and people think that they're using something better and in fact it's really not that much better. Which yes. is why I really encourage it's just the water and the vinegar because then you know what you're getting and it's, it's super cheap. Um, you know, so that's what I use on everything. Vinegar and water. Um, I use another natural product called Benefact, which is based with thyme oil. Uh, to clean, you know, if I have something that I really want to be a little bit more antibacterial, antifungal with, uh, and then I buy like the President's Choice. That's a, a, a brand here. Um, I don't know what the equivalent would be for you guys, but, um, it's like a no name sort of brand of the natural, the more natural toilet cleaner. And that's all that I, I buy for cleaners. And, um, so I can do that really cheaply. Yeah, you know, the one, the other challenge is to, what, not, you know, sorry, my own personal opinion is, you know, we, we, we know that the world is full of, of dishonest, you know, unfortunately dishonest companies and everybody's chasing the almighty dollar. So, you know, I often wonder when these things are slapped with these labels, organic or whatever, you know, who's checking that? You know, mm-hmm. you know, like you buy, you go into the store and you're buying groceries and you're, you go to the organic section and, you know, people are drawn to that because we're, we're, and I, and I, I'm going to be careful. I don't want to use the term brainwash, but we've been sort of, um, uh, forcibly educated to believe in organic, you know, um, using organic products to be, and, and, and uh, for them to be healthier, so to speak. But then there is, we never stop to think about, you know, when we go in the store and we see a, an apple on a regular stand and it's, you know, it's, it's a bag for $2. And then we go to the organic section and we see a, a similar bag of apples for $10. We assume that one is better than the other. I think you and I are both saying the same thing here because a lot of these companies will find ways to just, just give them the surface to be able to use the label organic. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Organic has become big business and there's certainly, uh, become a lot more corruption, uh, in it than, than there probably was back in the day when it was less popular and less, less yes. of a big business, unfortunately. Uh, but the other piece of that is that, uh, you know, the $2 bag of apples, we also have to recognize that, uh, the work that goes into organic farming is, is more labor intensive. And therefore, part of what you're paying for is some of that, 
uh, increased labor cost uh, as well. Some of them, like if they are truly organic and truly, you know, fair trade and all of those things, um, you know, they're paying the, the farmers uh, a living wage for it instead of, you know, some of the big companies like Dole and, and some of these that, you know, they buy their bananas for such ridiculously cheap prices. So they can pass them on for very cheap prices. But, you know, sometimes it's about evaluating um, that whole downstream area when we're looking at the price of something. And I know that, you know, not everybody's able to do that. Uh, but when we can and we do have the luxury of making those choices, I think it is an important uh, statement to make that you'd prefer to support the smaller sort of direct trade farmer if possible than, you know, the doles and, 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 and big companies like that. If that and, makes and, sense. and I agree, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think my, um, you know, what I'm driving at more is not, um, yeah, there is a socioeconomic issue. We understand that. And that's just a factor of life. But what I'm driving at though, is even people who will find a way to sacrifice for your know, better nutrition the thing is, like you said, it's become such big business that I don't think that people have an issue with supporting the, the, the trade line or the, the process that gets it to the store at cost a bit more because of the, the effort and everything else that is supposed to be put in, into it. I think we have an issue now of differentiating what is truth or not when that sits on that, on that fruit stand. You know, 100%. What, so, yeah, uh, and I we could go on about, yeah, I know it's, this is a, that's a challenging issue and it's, and it's beyond any conversation we can have because, you know, it's, I think it's even beyond government regulations because you, you simply can't watch everyone, you know. Right on. Have you heard of the one thing I will say with that that can help is if you've heard of the Environmental Working Group, uh, they have a website. If anybody just Googles Environmental Working Group, uh, they have a great uh, website and resource of uh, they analyze like the cleaning products and the body care products, as well as uh, some of the big name organic producers. So they are sort of a, an organization that. that is, yes, exactly, holding some of these things to account. So that is one way. Uh, but it does require doing your homework, which is just that extra layer of work right. <laughs> involved, right? right. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm getting uh, close to the end of our conversation here, and I think one of the most important questions that's still lingering in my mind is, we've told my audience about you know uh, children the most vulnerable and the things they can do, especially parents who are you know maybe desperate and 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 in fear because their child has an illness and um, you know they're looking for a solution and you've 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 given us a lot of information on on. Um, nutrition that can you know, not only help but possibly reverse certain conditions. But the obvious question would be, what kind of illnesses are we addressing here? Right. Yes. So as I, as I mentioned, you know, it can be a wide gamut of things. So I work with people who have children that have autoimmune um, autism is, is a common one, ADHD. Uh, asthma, eczema, uh, sometimes juvenile arthritis, um, which falls under the autoimmune category. Uh, I'm just, I'm just trying to think. Digestive problems like severe constipation. Um, some kids are even getting, you know, IBS quite early in their lives. 
Uh, what else are we talking about here? Uh, diabetes can also be helped, uh, type 1 and 2. Um, kind of going through the alphabet here. <laughs> Crohn's, not so much with kiddos. Um, and then we get into some of the uh, things like anxiety, depression. Um, I mentioned before pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric syndrome, which is becoming more common with kids. It's infection-based, but diet certainly has its place uh, in helping the body. So, you know, really anything that is an ongoing chronic health struggle, uh, and especially when uh, you've been frustrated with kind of the mainstream approach, you know, you've kind of been given nothing, like what happened with us, we were just told there's nothing to do, just go home and live with it. Uh, or, you know, the treatments you're doing aren't working as well as you like, or there's a long list of side effects. Uh, you know, that's that's the time that usually parents start to start looking into some of the alternatives that exist for them. Great, great. So, before we wrap it up, um, why don't you tell my audience, you know, how they can find you, where they can find you, you know? Yes. So they can find me by uh, going to my website, which is kidshealthrevolution.com. And I'm on all the social media platforms. Uh, same thing, Kids Health Revolution. It's pretty easy. If you uh, just Google uh, Kids Health Revolution, then you'll come up with all the different places that you can find me. And I've got lots of free resources for parents, lots of um, a little bit of a deeper dive into the gut healing and and parasites and all kinds of stuff I talk about on my website. Um, and then I have free uh, recipe eBooks as well as some free e uh, meal plans and, and things like that to really, you know, help parents get some inspiration on um, what eating like this might, might look like and feel like and taste like. And I think it's important to, you know, to sort of reiterate that, this whole you know, gut and nutrition thing is, you know, while it addresses a lot of illnesses, it's just basic good practice of eating for anyone. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So before uh, we close this off, is there anything, any final thought you'd like to leave my audience with? Well, I think you know, the most important thing to remember, you know, for parents who are listening that may have a child that has a chronic health diagnosis is to never give up hope, uh, that there is always some little power that you have, even when you are feeling in your darkest place and most powerless place, you have immense power, uh, just in the things that we've talked about today, in the food that you put on your table, in the air that your kids breathe, and the things that you put on their skin can have a profound impact. So don't don't give up. Great, great, great. So, Deborah, I want to thank you so much for joining me as a guest on 247 Real Talk. It's been a pleasure having you. It's been a very interesting conversation, both for my listeners and, I'm, I'm, and definitely for me myself. And, and I really appreciate you sharing your insights and your knowledge with me and my audience. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was a great conversation. Yes, it was. You're quite welcome. Please hang on on the line.
I want to say a very special thank you to my guest, Deborah Morgan, for sharing such vital information with us, not just for children, but for a healthy lifestyle for us all. There are so many challenges in this society today that at least we can control what we eat and how we live our lives. I also want to say a very special thank you, as always, to my supporters. Reminding you that you can listen to this episode or any of the episodes of 247 Real Talk on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to leave me a message, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have comments for my guests, you can email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, take care of yourselves and each other.